of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Once again, it is great to see all of you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be for our message today. If you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and turn over to chapter 7, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got Bibles under the seats in front of you there. You can just take one of those Bibles out, look in the front section there if you don't know where 1 Corinthians is at, and it'll tell you the page number. You head over to 1 Corinthians 7, verses uh, 17 through 28, and if you don't have a Bible, take one of ours. It is our gift to you want to ask you a question as we get started here. Has Christ crucified for sins on the cross, raised to life again, raised to life again by the power of God, ascended and, and seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you? Has Christ done enough for you to be happy today? Has Christ done enough for you to be happy today, or must he do a little more? Let's be honest about that. If you were to say honestly today, you know what, Scott? I hear you, I hear that the Bible says, you know, the gospel is all about Jesus Christ dying for me, risen again, seated at the right hand of God and, and interceding for me, forgiving my sins, and I am now whole, I'm now complete in God, but I, I tell you, I, I think I really need a little bit more. I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that today. I'm going to challenge you on that based off of the scripture that we're here in on this day that I believe really when I look at the scripture, if there is additional things that are needed above that, okay, God, I get it, but I need this. I'm going to, I'm going to say something that may sting a little bit and you may disagree, but if there's anything additional that's needed it's probably an idol. And let me share with you my heart on that. We live in probably the most discontented age possible. We're in a discontented world. We're surrounded by people who are discontent. They sit they rise, they leave home, they stay at home. They're discontent with their jobs, they're discontent with their material possessions, they're discontent with the mode of transportation they have, they're discontent with the traffic, they're discontent with the weather, and come on, that's pretty lousy around here. Watching football games yesterday, you're like, yeah, we got it pretty nice. It's, it's like one of those people that, with the weather or with whatever, if it's, if it's winter, they're discontent until it's spring. They're wanting spring or summer. And when it's summer, it's the same person that's like, oh, it's too hot. I can't wait for winter. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that God wants to speak into all of this, our discontent, 
and give us words of wisdom as Jesus said so beautifully to the church so many years ago, the night before he was crucified, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he comes to us by the Holy Spirit, by Scripture, and he comes to us today to speak into this situation of being content. Being content in any and every situation, it's really kind of the real, rare jewel in the life of a Christian, that Christian contentment. And we're right smack dab in a section of Scripture where Paul the Apostle is talking exactly about that. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. You see, the Corinthians had their identity and their vocation really kind of all mixed up. They, they began to think, now, that my identity has changed in Christ. My vocational calling probably needs to change as well. And essentially, it's kind of like a works righteousness type of thing that was being played out on a horizontal level. They were not seeking to change their behaviors on a horizontal level to, to please God. They were looking to make shifts in their identities to please themselves. And he gives us a central lesson in this that's going to unify all of our text today, and it's found in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 7, 17, and it says this in the New American Standard Version, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. What he's saying is retain the place in life where you are right now. This is what he is saying. He's saying you're going to go through various life situations. And he's going to apply this lesson in verse 18 in just a second to the circumcised. And he says, stay circumcised. And to the uncircumcised, he says, Stay uncircumcised. Then he gives the lesson again in verse 20, as we will read in a few moments. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. And then he addresses slaves, of which the overwhelming majority of the early church, I, don't, I, I hope you understand this, the overwhelming majority of the early church, they were slaves. There were millions and millions of slaves in the, in the Greco-Roman world. And that's why when you hear Paul say, you know, not many of you were wise, influential, not many of noble birth, they were slaves. And he's saying to slaves, he's saying, don't let that bother you. And that's kind of an incredible statement. Don't let that trouble you. Now, he does say if you can attain your freedom, do it. But even in verse 24, as we'll read in a little bit, each person should remain with God in whatever circumstance he was in when called. And what Paul is getting at is 
flipping all the way to that first question I asked you. He's getting at this. God is enough for you. God is enough for you. Remain in your walk with God in whatever circumstance in which he called you. And I think there's times when we go, okay, Paul, that's great. You're an apostle. You kind of had this really cool calling. And then I remember Paul and Silas and their amazing contentment in a jail. Paul and Silas were in this Philippian jail, and it's really, to me, one of the greatest pictures other than Christ himself giving himself up on the cross. When he says, not my will, but your will be done, isn't that contentment? Whatever you will, God. And Paul and Silas are sitting in this jail, and it's really one of the other greatest pictures of Christian contentment. If you know the story, you may remember, if you know the story, that they were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were actually doing an exorcism at the time, and then they were beaten publicly. You know, how dare you do that? Whack, whack, whack. And what they were doing in chains is they were singing and praising to God in jail. There was an ongoing strengthening work that God was doing in their life in the midst of jail. And it enabled them through the Spirit in their lives, Holy Spirit in their lives, and enabled them to be content in that situation, to be filled with the Spirit, to be singing and praising God while chained in a dungeon. And if you look at the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, two of the elements of the Spirit are joy and peace. And they were exhibiting joy and peace in that jail. That's contentment. I can be filled with the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit in any and every situation. You know what, when you, when you meditate on that and read scripture about that and you think about that idea of being strengthened, one of the things that will come to mind, it came to mind for me on this when reading this section of scripture this week, is really discontentment in the life of Scott Julian is a display of weakness. And really, I mean, so, as you can tell, I'm talking to me here as well. It is weak to be discontent. You know, I don't want to be weak today. Do you? I don't want circumstances to come and blow and toss me like the waves in the sea. I don't want to be the person that's moaning and whining and murmuring against God, which is a sin. And if there were two guys that had every 
earthly right to be moaning and complaining about their position, it was Paul and Silas. God, we were, we were casting a demon out of a person, and we are in jail because of that. And it's not like some modern holding tank where CNN or Fox News is playing over here and, you know, they get, you know, uh, somewhat of a little bed and different things like that. I mean, this, this was not that. It was awful. Now, you may not know today that everything that God's choosing for your life is good. And what we mean by good is that it is a wise plan. He is wisely bringing you through suffering. He's wisely bringing you through prosperity, potentially. He knows exactly what he's doing. That's Christian contentment. Let's apply this to life status then because that's what Paul does. When you look at verse 17 again, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, and that's a powerful statement. As the Lord has assigned, the original language there means measured out. He's assigned that. He's put a boundary around. This is what I've assigned you to. And as God has made that assignment to you, that assignment language is the language of God's wise, fatherly decision about your life. It's the language of providence. God has made a providential decision about you. Only as the Lord has done what? Assigned. To each one of us, God has called each. He's calling you to follow Christ, to be a Christian in the midst of your life. He's calling you to follow Christ. Look at verse 18 then. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Now, let's just be real here. I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who gives a little thought about this and knows what circumcision is, that there's really no way that you're going to become uncircumcised. And if you don't understand that, I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm just... <laughs> But what he's saying here is if you are living as a Jewish person in the pattern of life as a Jewish person, and he's going to deal with this in depth in chapter 9, he says to the Jewish person, continue being Jewish in, in, in your life, you know, what you're eating, what's the patterns of your life. He's saying don't, don't stop that. And conversely, he's, he's also saying to those who are Gentiles, those that are not Jewish, don't, you don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. 
and he deals at this in length in the letter to the church in, in Galatia and Galatians. What he's saying is you don't need that circumcision, uncircumcision, that following of ceremonial laws in order to be saved, to live for Christ. What's required is God's moral commandments, as I would call the Big Ten. The Ten Commandments, the moral commandments, those don't change. Ceremonial rules, circumcision, dietary laws, all of that blown up. It's fine to live in those things, right? But that's not what this relationship is any longer about. He's saying in verse 19 then, once again, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. The moral law, the moral commandments. Be content in your daily lifestyle and in that daily lifestyle and everything that you do, live for Him. Follow Him. And he goes on in verse 20 to say, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. And then he jumps into, as a transition into explaining this even further in verses 21 through 24, he says in verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. Verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And you can probably see the people in the church in Corinth going, oh, my brain hurts. This, this is so different than anything I would have thought would have been said. This is revolutionary. But what Paul is getting at is that you can reach a place in your heart, in your soul, where the fact that even if even you are a slave and you can't walk away from that, that you can live in a way that it doesn't bother you at all. You know in your heart that you you could spend the rest of your life in that condition. Most slaves did. And you go from a Christian slave to being lavishly rewarded on judgment day by the master for how you carried yourself. You were faithful in the position 
that you were placed. And what he's saying is that, see, you actually are not, you're a slave to Christ. You are a slave to Christ. You belong to him. You're in his service and he's, you may be rendering to your earthly master what you were required, but you're actually rendering that then to Christ. He goes through this all in his letter to the Ephesians and Colossians. And he actually says, hey, you know, those of you who are slaves, you actually can live freer than your master if your master is not a Christian because your master then is enslaved to sin. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But we know that Jesus does what? He sets us free. He sets us free. You'll be free indeed. You are free in Christ from the real chains, which is death and hell. You're set free from that. You are Christ's freed man. And so Paul is getting at this fact. Don't be bothered by your status as a slave. Don't let it weigh on you day, <coughs> day in and day out saying, I can't be happy. I can't be happy as a slave. I can't be happy in this job. I can't be happy being a slave to, you know, fill in the blank. Yes, you can. However, he says, if you can get your freedom, do it. You know, if there's an opportunity, because he's talking to truly to people that were slaves, if there's an opportunity to become free, good. But you need to carry the same attitude that you had when you're now a freed man. Because you're Christ's slave in the midst of all of that. Let's go back to that Philippian jail for a moment. If you know the story, does anyone know what happened? A little earthquake happened. Something that we've all experienced. It was a, it was a good size earthquake. And the chains fell off. Now, I thought about this this week. I'm so trained, I probably first would have gone under a door frame, but then I would have been gone. I, I, <laughs> I'm free. I'm out of here. But you know what? Paul and Silas did not run away. Isn't that weird? Why? Well, one, it would have been illegal and they would have sent someone after them anyway, bring them back. But there's even a bigger thing there. By God's providence, there was a jailer. And you go, well, of course there was a jailer. Well, if they would have left, that jailer would have been in hell right now. You guys know that? 
he would have been in hell right now. He would have committed suicide that very night as someone that was not a believer. Never really in all the Bible do you see anyone so dangling over hell that was later rescued. He had drawn his sword. He was ready to fall on it because he knew if they leave, I'm dead. Might as well do it myself. Because Paul was submissive to God's will in his life, he and Silas stayed put. He stayed as a prisoner until the law said it was time for him to go, which was the next morning. You see, Paul didn't say the following. Paul didn't say, well, you know, I think this dungeon is kind of home. I like it. We actually love it here. I know there's nothing to eat or drink, and I know it stinks, and I know it's dark, but we love it. We're going to stay. That is not what he did. You see, if you can get your freedom, do it, but that's not why this happened. You see, there's a jailer that's alive because he now belongs to Christ. There's a jailer that's alive that belongs to Christ because they stayed put, the chains were released, the jailer says, why in the world are you still here? And they share the gospel with him. That's pretty cool. He's, in lo- he's alive. He belongs to Christ. That's the picture of Christian contentment. To be in the position you know where God has placed you and you share Christ in that position. Now, Paul goes further to explain this in, in marital status in verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if A virgin marries, she has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Uh, When I was looking at this this week, and people kind of look at this and go, you know, some of it makes sense, some of it they're like, I I have no idea what Paul's talking about here. There was a guy at a church that I used to be at that was running around telling gals that were not married that they should not get married because of this section of verses and I was like that is not what we're talking about here he was like you're not supposed to get married like uh, 
and you go, and you go, did you read the beginning parts of 1 Corinthians 7? <laughs> it's okay. 1 Corinthians 6, yes. If God hasn't called you to singleness, then what should you do? Be married. And he's like, eh, you're wrong. I'm like, okay, well, I can't help you. But this is addressing something way different than what he was trying to get at here in this church, also in the Los Angeles area. These people were perhaps betrothed, not yet married. And he speaks to someone who's been trained by God's mercy to speak wisdom into these situations. And he's giving them this advice. It's, it's predictable. It's stay in the condition which you're called. And he's saying if, you, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Stay married as a content man or a content woman. Be content in your life situation. Flourish where you're planted. Stay in that condition and he says, if you're single, stay single if you can. Basically, don't allow your mind to be dominated by worldly things. Life was brief. Our time is here is temporary. Verse 26, because of the present crisis. And that means there were, there were difficulties, the difficulties of life in this world, and even more, a persecuted setting. In light of the present crisis, you know, stay single if you can. But once again, it ultimately boils down to be content in the circumstances of your life. What it really also says, for example, is there is this mentality sometimes with people that so desperately want to be married. You know, my life will begin when I find a spouse. Until then... I'm in a gigantic holding pattern. I'm circling LAX with no reason. And Paul's like, don't be like that. Be content in your present situation. Serve the Lord in that situation. In verse 27, and we're going to dig into this right before we finish here. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. We're going to focus on the word seek. Don't seek. The key word here is seek. Think about some of the other seek statements in the New Testament. Let's get the seek thing right. Seek first what? His kingdom, his righteousness. Seek the face of God in prayer. Seek what God pleases and find out what God is seeking in the world that, has, that he has you called to do. We know that God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth. He is seeking and saving the lost in Luke 19. That's the type of seeking we need to be involved in. Verse 28, if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Paul is, is making it plain that there's not, nothing sinful in marriage. 
His main motivation in deterring in this situation is to spare them from a hardship and suffering and physical life that accompanied a specific time of trouble and persecution. And that can still happen today, right? Real quick here, some application points. God, uh, Paul is about to make an extended defense of singleness. And we're going to get to that in this series. But let me apply all of this as, as we finish here. First question for you. Have you learned the secret of Christian contentment? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you learning that contentment? Do you feel like you're in chains at times? And you go, you know what? I, I need to be like Paul and Silas. They were singing and praising God. Is Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven, seated on, seated on the right hand of God, interceding for us? Is that enough for you today? For example, if you read through this, if you're a single person, is Christ crucified and resurrected enough for you or do you have to have a spouse? If you're married, is Christ crucified and resurrected enough for you to be genuinely happy in your marriage? And we've talked about other stuff the other week. What this is coming down to is, are you able to be content in Christ? in any and every situation. Are you able to be content in Christ in any and every situation? Are you able to look at your life circumstances, maybe a medical situation, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're in pain, maybe there's stuff going on in your marriage, maybe your housing situation is not what you want it to be, maybe your job situation is not what you want it to be. Again, if you can approve the, improve those things, okay, but you don't live for that. Christ is your life. You know, that discontentment, once again, is simply that someday, fill in the blank, someday I will have the awesome ranch in Montana. Someday. And when that someday comes, I will be content. And then there's a brush fire and the ranch burns down. You can't, you can't live like that. Christ has already given you and me. Christ has already given you and me everything we need to be content today. And so we are called to live like that.